Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Small Town Tourist Podcast, where we experience and explore everything that makes small towns great. I'm your host, Abby, and I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet because I have one of the longest podcast episodes I've ever done for you today. We are talking with one of my previous bosses and one of my great friends. We are hanging out with Chad Taylor today, radio personality, and he actually has a very interesting story of managing so many incredible people from Jordan Knight to Danny Wood to Jeff Timmons. Like, he has such an incredible story of working in the music industry. So I just want to give Chad that platform and that time. So thank you so much for tuning in, and please enjoy hanging out with Chad Taylor. So come on home, claim your throne when life gets you down. It's nice to know there's somewhere to go with folks care about you. Okay, let's get this bad boy started. So I always start with having the guest tell me their name, where they're from, and what you do. So feel free to tell me any type of town that you're from, because I know you got a laundry list of (laughs) stops along the way. You got it. Well, this is Chad Zimmerman, but most people know me as Chad Taylor. I was born and raised in Racine, Wisconsin, which is just outside Milwaukee. But my career has kind of taken me all across the country from Wisconsin to Illinois to Florida, Minnesota, and now Iowa. That's how I know you is from your stint of time in Minnesota. Chad was the person who hired me to work at Mix 94.9, for which I am eternally grateful because there were so many wonderful opportunities that came from that. And what's really interesting, I didn't know this when you hired me, but you have a vibrant past of working with so many incredible musicians. I do. You know, a lot of people don't know this. I don't talk about this a lot, but how that started really was when I was a teenager. I mean, really young. We're talking eighth grade. I started writing songs and I was really into hip hop. I loved like 80s, early 90s hip hop. I love Beastie Boys, Run DMC, Public Enemy, LL Cool J. And so <laughs> I might have been the pre vanilla ice, if you will. I was writing hip hop songs. And my parents actually, <laughs> again, I'd never talked about this, they actually funded my first album. I wrote an album and recorded it in the Quad Cities, which is uh, the Quad Cities, for those that don't know, is like Moline, Illinois, Rock Island, Illinois. And then they combine with two cities in Iowa, Bettendorf and Davenport. And they're connected by the bridge at the Mississippi River. So I recorded at a studio called Cana Recording. And that's how I really started. I just always knew what I wanted to do. I wasn't one of those kids that went through I want to be a cop. I want to be a fireman. I want to be this. I want to be that. I always knew I wanted to be in the entertainment business, in the music business, but I really wanted to be a recording artist first. How did that initial album experience go for you? Being from Racine, how did you know what to do? This is pre-Google, by the way. So (laughs) everything, you know, I, when they say people study, I studied those artists I talked about earlier. I was so passionate and I just, I threw myself in. I had a music teacher named Mrs. Constable, and I went to a Catholic school in a very small Catholic school, but she saw something in me. And as you can imagine, you know me well, Abby, I was a class clown in school. Sometimes I didn't take my schoolwork seriously. Sometimes I would cut it up in class, but, but she saw some, saw something in me, you know, and that, and she really encouraged me. I mean, she saw what I wanted to do and she was always that person behind me saying, you can do it. You just got to go for it. You got to you know, start somewhere. She used to always say, so you got to start somewhere. And that's what I did. So my dad got transferred uh, my sophomore year to the Quad Cities. And so when I got there, I didn't have a lot of friends. So I just immersed myself in the music and started writing. I started researching where to find recording studios. And again, I'd never been in a recording studio. And I met this guy named Skip Clarkwest. I don't even know if he's alive anymore. And he ran a studio called Cana Recording in the Quad Cities. And, uh, you know, I just showed up one day and I told him what I wanted to do. And he put together a budget for me and my parents funded it. And I put together an entire album. I I wrote the album. I co-produced it. um, I did the artwork for it. And I actually got the record in all the stores in the Quad Cities at the time. It was interesting. And then I started getting calls from area promoters and they were having me open up shows. And again, you got to remember, this was a time there wasn't a vanilla ice there really wasn't besides the beastie boys or third base there really wasn't a, a white rap artist so here i was opening up for uh bands at the time that were up and comers like digital underground you know who tupac was a dancer for at the time and i was opening up for ice cube and, and all these different hip-hop bands Candyman, 
being this, this, you know, young white kid at the time, I just turned 16, I think at the time I was doing those shows and man, I'll tell you what, I got an education fast. But the cool thing about that is I started to make a name for myself. Of course, you get on that stage, they'd see my face and, you know, they wanted to boo right away. But I think two or three songs in, they saw that I took it seriously. You know, I, I was, you know, honing my craft and I loved hip hop. I think they could tell and, and they could tell that I was legit. And I mean, doing that, it opened up a ton of doors because my dad started to get transferred all around and that moved me to Lexington, Kentucky. And I continued to record down there. And the shows got bigger. I started opening up for bands like, I don't know if you would know it. You might be too young, but Daz FX was another hip hop duo and um, TLC at the time, which they were starting to become big. I got to open up for them. And that's when I, I met the guys from the New Kids on the Block when I was really young. We first crossed paths in my teen years and I kept those relationships. And, you know, it's just the crazy story of how I was first a recording artist. And I thought, man, I really thought I was going to make it big. I started to get, you know, calls from record labels and I started to release music, not only here in the States, but I was releasing stuff over in Europe. And at the time I, you know, I'm doing this music and you know, you're a typical teenager. You're not listening to your parents. I met this girl and she got pregnant. And of course that started to derail my process because then I wasn't just responsible for myself. I was responsible now for this family at a very young age. I was a very young dad, you know, I was getting ready to turn 19, you know, I just graduated high school. I moved back to Wisconsin, my whole family did. And I thought, you know, I still gotta continue with my passions. I started to DJ in a nightclub, Wednesday through Saturday night from like nine to two in the morning, Wednesday through Saturday. And then I would work full time during the day. And I still was writing and recording and performing, just working really hard at it. And how I got into radio, well, the funny thing is a program director was one of my regulars at this nightclub. and I. I created a name as this guy people would come to to go dance. I mean, we would have lines lined up to come to this club I was DJing at, DJing at called Vintage Rock Cafe. And a guy named John Patrick is the one that brought me into radio. He, one night after a set, he said, hey, have you ever thought about radio? And I'm like, of course, I love radio. But again, my mind was, I'm an entertainer. I'm a singer. I'm a rapper, you know. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, just come on down. Well, you know, if you know Abby in this business, he's like, come on down. You can tech, you can board up. And this was back in the day when it wasn't like you just, you know, you bring a, a, a Marty and you're good to go. This was like, this was craziness. And then I, I was thrust in pretty darn quick. I mean, from there, it was literally, I think a week later, they had fired their afternoon DJ and production director. And it was like trial by fire. Isn't it so, so funny was, how that happens? Crazy. And I was doing this balancing act of trying to figure out what a production director is. And you got to remember this is back in like the mid nineties. Now we're talking like 94, 95 at this point, they had like a two track reel to reel. I was producing stuff on a two track and trying to be on the air. And again, DJing in the club, trying to be a dad, trying to be a husband and still not let go of that dream of being a recording artist. I mean, it was just, it was craziness. There were times I was getting maybe three to four hours sleep tops at that time in my life. And you were still functioning and still doing everything you could in your power to keep the family afloat, keep your dreams afloat. It's just incredible what the body is capable of when you're pushed into a corner. Well, you know, I tell I tell my kids, I tell anybody that will listen, though, you know, I look at those times and they were the best of times and the worst of times. And when I say that they were the best of times professionally, I mean, I was really just, you know, I was making some pretty good money at the time. I was kind of balancing and living in all these different worlds. I was, you know, at this nightclub DJ that people were coming to see. I was now starting to make a name for myself on a radio station, but it was an adult contemporary station. Very AC. I mean, we're talking Hootie and the Blowfish and Elton John and Mariah Carey. Very AC, you know. So for a young guy at the, you know, at the time, it, you know, really wasn't the music that I wanted to be on the air with. But, you know, again, it just it was something that really, I think um, it, it sparked something in me because I, at that point I, I realized, you know what, I don't know if this other plan is going to take off and work. And I was getting a little bit older. I know I'm saying that when I'm saying my, you know, 1920 is getting older, but I was getting older. And again, I had a family to support. So I, I wanted to make sure I had that steady paycheck coming in and that written radio and the club provided that. But, you know, there was a cost to that, too, because at the same time, you're young, you're trying to figure out life. I didn't even know what it was like or what I should how a husband was supposed to behave or what a dad, how a dad. You know, I had my stepdad who was such a great example, but I was so young and had so much I wanted to do. And it was it was rough. It really was rough. I, I, I recall a time I was telling my oldest daughter, I, re, I recall a time because you don't really budget that well. I remember a time that I was like digging in my pocket to go feed myself. There was a gas station on the corner from our apartment that I had. 
And at the time I wasn't budgeting right. And I thought, you know, got to make sure the electric bills are paid and the gas bill and the rent and all that. There was a Taco Bell inside of a gas station. And at the time we were, we were like scrounging for change. My, my wife at the time and I just to be able to have Taco Bell because we made sure the kids were eating, but you know, we didn't, we didn't want to tell our parents. Could you imagine? I mean, our parents were flown over and, you know, stocked, stocked us up with groceries, but I, you know, I just wanted to do it on my own, but I just, I was so hyper-focused on my career and I was young and, you know, I just took on so much at that time. Yeah. Things got to get sacrificed and you're putting the kids first and oh man, you just do what you got to do. I feel like every parent has that moment. It doesn't matter what your income is. It doesn't matter what your job status is. They have that moment where like kid comes first. I am sitting on the back burner and that's okay. You know, though, I'll tell you what, even through every hardship I've had, every hardship has been a great learning experience for me. Everybody always asks me, my God, when your dad started transferring around in high school, that must have been difficult, you know? And I thought it, it really wasn't for me because, you know, me, I make, I make friends pretty fast and easily. But if he hadn't taken those jobs, you know, for example, if he hadn't taken that job in the Quad Cities, I would have never recorded my first album. If he hadn't taken the job in Lexington, I would have never met Brian Littrell from the Backstreet Boys. We went to school together at Tate's Creek High School. No way. Yeah. I would have never met Brian. I would have never started that relationship. I would have never recorded what I think I still to this day think was my best work. I would have never opened up for TLC and Daz Effects and, 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 and artists and bands like that. Again, because that opportunity led to that opportunity. And then going back to Racine, you know, got me into radio. Everything happens for a reason. Even my failed first marriage, you know, everything happened for a reason. You know, it, it really did lead to better things for both of us. And, uh, you know, even a better life for my older kids, you know, when I look at it now it, as a 47 year old, you know? Yeah. Hindsight's 2020. It is. It is. You know, you sat and you know this well too, Abby, you know, I know we have a big age difference, but you know how much we were talking about this off the podcast, just how much you sacrificed and you're a hard worker. I tell you that all the time. I'm so, so proud of you and what you've accomplished at a young age. You remind me so much of myself. You just, you will work literally till, till, till you drop. And you and you do that now. You put your all into everything that you do, and and there there's a sacrifice that comes with that. I'm sure Corey feels that sacrifice or felt it, especially when you were in radio. There's it's just it's inevitable mm -hmm. with paths that we chose. You know, it just it something has to give, and unfortunately, the give is sometimes the family life. You know, yeah, it's the free time on the weekends, and I just right. recently jumped ship from radio to working for the local county, and I was having a really hard time with it. I'm two months into a new job and I'm still having a hard time with it. But my sister was really great about putting into into perspective. She said, think about this coming summer. Instead of spending your Saturday morning at some random fleet farm, you're going to get to be at the lake, which is what you want to do. And I'm like, thank you for keeping me level. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm convinced because you have such a great job now, but I'm convinced at some point, because I love that you're doing this podcast, you're too talented not to do this. But I feel at some point, too, you'll do something. You'll do something else on top of that job. I just, I feel that. I've already been putting feelers out. <laughs> I, I know it. It's just, you know, it's how we're built. It is. Yeah. So let's get into post you getting into radio. Let's talk more of your management side of things because you have helped out with countless artists on the road, traveling places, touring. How did you get into doing that? So I was in Florida at the time. I was working for a radio station. It was called Citrus 95.3. It was just outside Tampa, Florida. And I mentioned earlier that I met the new kids when I was a teenager, but we kind of lost touch. And then fast forward to, excuse me, the late 90s. Both Jordan Knight and Joey McIntyre from New Kids finally released solo records. And were both touring again, visiting radio again, putting, their, putting themselves out there again. And so I rekindled my relationship with both first Danny Wood from New Kids and then Jordan. So Danny was also working on a solo album, but quietly, where Jordan and Joey were like on TRL at the time. And Jordan was opening up for NSYNC on tour. And Joey had had a top 10 record. Danny was quietly recording. And he first started recording as a under the name Defuse. He didn't want any association with his New Kids days at the time. He was doing like electronica hip-hop, you know, it was very different from the new kids. And then he decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to my singer-songwriter roots, and he put together this phenomenal album called Second Face. And I want to I want to say this was around 2002. And he put this record out with a company, a small label in Miami, 
And at the time, they had reached out to the radio station I was working at. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh, my God, it's Danny Wood from New Kids on the Block. And Paul, who owned the record label, had put us in touch. And, of course, I had Danny on my night show. And then after the night show, I'm like, what's your plan with this? Are you going to tour? You know, what are you going to do? And he's like, I haven't done a single solo show at this point. And I said, well, why don't you come up and do a show for our radio station? I know the perfect venue. And, of course, we'll host and we'll promote it. And that's exactly what we did. He, he put together a four-piece band. And they came up. And he did his very first solo show with Citrus 95.3. And then we just, I mean, we became fast friends. We really did. We had a lot in common. Uh, we both liked to joke and, you know, we both had a passion for the business. And Danny, of course, you know, everybody knows the story behind New Kids and, you know, the career that they have had at that, you know, up to that point. And so I'll never forget this, Abby. And again, something I don't think I've ever talked about. I had this family, you know, again, I still have the kids. They're growing up at this point, right? I got a steady paycheck at Citrus, you know, Citrus 95.3. And he asks me if I want to go on the road with him. And I couldn't make that, I couldn't make my mind up, but I didn't tell him that, but I couldn't, it was like this internal struggle. Do I do it? Don't, you know, do I do it? Do I not do it? Because I got this great job now. I'm the assistant program director. I'm on the air, got that check. I'm doing what I want to do for a living. And this was again at the time that, you know, fat, you know, you could fax things in and out. And I just, I couldn't make my mind up. But Danny assumed I had accepted the job. The tour was starting. In fact, the first date was in upstate New York and the tour bus was coming from Miami to pick me up. Uh, yeah, had a rest stop in Tampa. And the night before, true story, the, the night before, around 11 o'clock at night, I faxed my resignation into the radio station. And you were getting true. on a bus the next morning? Yeah, like four or five in the morning. My dad dropped me off at the rest area. I didn't consult my wife at the time. The only person I always consulted was my dad. And my dad, thank, again, thank God for my stepdad, um, who basically said, you know what? You have to follow your heart. You got to take, you know, he used to always say, without risks, there's no reward. He was a firm believer. He still isn't hard work, good work ethic, but he's like, you got to go for it. And so I got on that bus and I was petrified because I didn't know how to be a tour manager. I mean, again, it was like how I jumped into radio. I was telling you, sorry, I just jumped. I was thrust into it. I was thrust into this. Literally, we were driving to New York and he's like, okay, make sure you advance the show. I didn't even know what that, what, what that meant. What does it mean to advance a show? And you can't just Google it. You don't have a smartphone. No, there's none of this. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I just, I called the venue and told them, you know, obviously what we were traveling with and what we, what we would need. I was like interviewing all the band members to find out what their needs were. And, to, you know, and I just, it came, it came quite quickly to me, you know, because I was a, I was a recording artist. I did perform. I knew some of that stuff, but you know, not to the tone of now being in charge of a, high-profile artist, you know, artists like Danny Wood. I mean, it just And not crazy. just Danny. You're in charge of the whole band and everyone getting where yeah. they need to be on time. Oh, my gosh. And making hotel reservations and flights if you need them and routing. And, oh, my goodness, and working with a booking agent, a record label. I mean, it was, man, I'll tell you what, a trial by fire. But, man, oh, man, the stories. I mean, the, the story started right away. I mean, I was indoctrinated right away on that tour bus. <laughs> I was like, you know, this just wide-eyed young guy in the right away now and you're in that world of they always call it sex drugs and rock and roll but i'm grateful that i never had to deal with the uh, the drugs part <laughs> the wildest that bus got is they wanted to watch like uh, uh the godfather over and over or goodfellas or something i mean you know they would partake in a couple of cocktails but i didn't have like something wild like gene simmons of kiss you know <laughs> i feel like you got kind of lucky because it, had you caught danny and new kids like 10 years prior you would have been in the throes oh of it Oh, my goodness. And, you know, what's funny is the Blockheads, though, those fans are so passionate and they just um, they were so amazing to me right out of the gate. They really were. They, you know, made me feel right at home. And I mean, they, they do that to this day. You know, I'm, just, I'm still friends with a lot of those fans. They were they were there from, you know, from, for Danny from day one. This was new to Danny, too, because, again, it wasn't for the guys on stage. It was just Danny. It was him by himself for better or worse. You know, and then we, you know, right away we toured the entire country he released his first single the album came out shortly after and what was funny is the album started to make noise in germany of all places so we put How? the u.s on, i know we put the u.s on hold and now i'm all of a sudden i'm traveling internationally to go film music videos in germany and we're doing stadiums in germany because at the time when we were doing the tour here in the states it was like nightclubs and small theaters and things like that but in germany 
you go and play these massive like amphitheater type shows and you'd be on a bill with the Spice Girls. And at the time, Michelle Branch and Kelly Clarkson had just won American Idol. I'll never forget my first trip to Berlin with Danny. We did this big show with all these artists and bands that were popular in Germany and across Europe that the States hadn't heard of. But, you know, bands like the Spice Girls and Michelle Branch, I was, you know, I was familiar with. And then Kelly Clarkson, who had just won Idol, she had just released a single over there called Miss Independent. And we checked into the hotel. Abby, you'll love this. My first trip to Germany. And I'm in this hotel. It's right outside Berlin. I don't know Kelly Clarkson. I mean, I was on the road at the time Idol had kicked off, so I wasn't really familiar with her. And Danny's going to be embarrassed. I'm hopefully the blockheads don't share this with the new kid. I've never told this story. He rings my room and he says, hey, who's that girl outside your room? I said, I, I, I said, I haven't been outside my room. He said, well, go, you got to go see this girl. So I said, I'll call you back. I go outside my, my room and there's this pretty girl being interviewed. Like, in like, you know, sometimes in hotels, each floor will have kind of like a, like a little lobby area. that mm-hmm. has a couple of chairs and whatnot. When you come off the elevator. It was Kelly Clarkson being interviewed by like, I don't know if it was like a German magazine or radio station or what it was, but she was being interviewed. So I pretended to like walk to the gym and be nosy. And so then I just, I walked back out, but then I just sat down and I listened to the interview and this lady walks over and sits next to me and it was her manager. And man, I'm 47. So my mind just goes sometimes, Abby, but her manager stayed her manager forever. And then she went on to manage Carrie Underwood. And it's just, I just really wish I could give her credit because she was so kind. I know it'll come to me. But anyway, I asked her, I said, who is that? And she told me who it was. She says, well, she's almost done. I'll introduce you to her when, you know, when the interview's done. So I meet Kelly. She introduces me to Kelly. And then Kelly finds out I'm working with Danny and she grew up a new kids fan. Oh no. Oh my gosh. She wants me to bring Danny to her room to meet her. So I go back to the room. I called Danny. I said, you'll never believe this. This girl you're inquiring about grew up a new kids fan. I told him who she was that she just won American Idol. She's on the show with us. And we went to her room and as she was getting all glammed up, we got to know her. We just hung out and visited and, you know, and then we hung out with Kelly and Michelle Branch the entire time because we were the only Americans on the show at the time. So it was just we kind of just clung together, you know. My 11-year-old so self is freaking out right now. <laughs> I you the picture of me meeting Kelly first off I looked ridiculous because I was you know super like super skinny and I had the what they call them highlights what were they called frosted tips tips and I had both ears double pierced Abby oh yeah it was the early 2000s you were hot (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was at least (laughs) that is so nuts it was so much fun. We shot, you know, when we were in Germany, we shot uh, two music videos there. Um, so that was my first experience in that. And then, you know, things just kept growing from there with Danny. And we came back. We toured the States again. And then Jordan Knight came calling. Jordan uh, had a great first record with Interscope, had a top 10 single with Give It To You. He was touring with um, Sync at the time. And then Interscope kind of changed their focus. You'll, you'll remember this time when Interscope really started to focus on hip hop. So that's when they signed like Eminem and 50 Cent. And those were the priorities. And the pop guys weren't so much the priorities. So Jordan had this second record recorded that they had shelved and it had some awesome, awesome songs on it. He went to Minneapolis, which isn't too far from you, and recorded with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who did all of like Usher stuff and Janet Jackson stuff. He worked with them. He worked with a unknown at the time, Robin Thicke who had written and produced some amazing songs on this album. And this, this album was just sitting there doing nothing. I was able to work with him and get him back out touring again, just because he wasn't doing anything. I just started to book shows with him, but Jordan was different from Danny because Jordan didn't have a band, you know? So I said to Jordan, well, well, actually Jordan said to me, because a lot of people don't realize that Jordan at the time too. And I think he still does. We all do. We all have anxiety in this business, whether you're in radio or, music or whatever. We're kind of all anxious people. And he just didn't want to be on the stage by himself. Jordan, even as a solo artist, you know, had like five or six dancers and a DJ, you know, he just <laughs> he didn't take it on the stage. He's like, I know you DJ and I know you, you did, you rapped. And why don't you just come on stage and be my hype man and my DJ? And you know me, I was like, of course. And I knew Say all, less. The, <laughs> all the new kids catalog. Obviously I grew up a new kids fan. And so, yeah, we just started to uh, get back out on the road and we were doing the same thing that I did with, it was like, doing following in the same footsteps as Danny we were doing small 
clubs and small theaters and House of Blues shows. And uh, Jordan had a, a little bit bigger of a name because he, he did establish himself as a solo artist. And he kind of was the front man of New Kids on the Block. So we were doing a little bit bigger shows. And I brought him to the same label that Danny was working with at the time, Empire Music Works there in uh, Miami. And, and we recorded a New Kids on the Block cover album. He covered himself, believe it or not. And then that led to us uh, crossing paths with Lou Pearlman, who famously, you know, uh, you know, or, or I should say infamous, you know, is infamous for some people because it's good and bad, right? The stories behind the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and LFO and all that stuff. But anyway, we ended up at Transcontinental and Lou uh, signed Jordan to a, a solo album deal there. My life just changed so much at that point because now not only am I managing him and I'm still managing Danny, but I'm now writing with Jordan, which I'd never done with Danny. I'm writing now on Jordan's solo albums. You know, I'm in the studio working with him, which I hadn't done with Danny before. So now it's almost like a full circle moment because now that part of me that always wanted to be a recording artist is kind of finally happening in a way because I was able to have that, that be a part of that process. You know, even if it wasn't my name on the album, it was my name in the credits on some of the songs that we were writing. And one of the biggest highlights at the time was I got to write on what the label released as a single. And the single became a top 10 hit at adult contemporary radio. And I'll never forget, you know, there was a time when I was in Las Vegas and we were like, I just wanted to, uh, it's kind of funny because it, it hit the top 30 and I'm like, man, I'm fine. If it doesn't do anything else, I can always say I had a top 30 hit. And then it went top 25 and I, oh my God, if it never goes anywhere else. And then it went top 20 and then top 15. And then, you know, it just kept going. And I'll never forget being in Vegas. And we were just nestled right between Boys to Men, Cindy Lauper, and Barry Manilow on the adult contemporary chart. And I ran into Barry Manilow and I told him, I was telling him the story. And I said, you know, you have had so many hits over your career. What a, what a career you've had. Can you just give me this? <laughs> and he couldn't give me it. So we stalled there. We stalled. We stalled before cracking that, that top 10 position. But I mean, what a highlight. I mean, things with Jordan for a good three years of my life were, were just, it was adventures and just living out every dream that I'd ever had. It came true with Jordan in so many ways. You know, it really did. And it wouldn't have happened if you went to faxed in that resignation and got on that bus at 4 right? a.m. <laughs> never would have happened had I not followed my heart and followed my dad's advice. It would never have happened. You and know, it's just so cool that it did. Yeah. And it could have went either way. It could have stopped right then and there, you know, with it could have stopped after that one tour with Danny. And Danny said, you know what, this really isn't working out, you know. And then it just for me, it then it just it, it blossomed. I mean, you know, then I I met Tracy, you know, I, you know, I obviously I got divorced. And um, but I met Tracy and then Tracy came on the road with me and started working with me and Jordan. And then we started picking up other clients. People started seeing what we were doing. And I, I was kind of working with artists that were in that, you know, that had put out albums in the late 80s and the 90s. And then we're looking for kind of that 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 second breath, if you will. So I met Jeff Timmons from 98 Degrees. We met at the uh, Radio Music Awards in Vegas and we became fast friends. And Jeff was releasing a solo record, had a record deal at the time on the same label as Jim Brickman, if you know who that is. And uh, yeah, so Jeff started to work with me and I started to tour with him. And then I, I signed PM Dawn and they had a lot of great hits in the early 90s. Brian Abrams from Color Me Bad, the lead singer of Color Me Bad, picked up a reggae band, Morgan Heritage, somebody that was signed to Michael Bivens from New Edition, um, who was um, working with Boys to Men at the time and BBD and ABC, a rapper named MC Brain. So here it is. Myself and Tracy, and we were just trying to manage all these different careers. And there was that was wild. I mean, you, when you think about it, just trying to give every one of those artists attention as a manager, but still trying to be a performer with with Jordan. And kind of went back to those days when I was DJing in the club and working radio and doing this. And yeah, I was spinning a lot of plates. How did you manage to do all of that? I mean, I know not everyone tours at the same time and not everyone's releasing stuff at the same time, but still, that's a lot of moving parts. It was a lot of moving parts. And, you know, to be quite honest with you, sometimes when you take on too much, some things can get missed or some of your artists don't get the attention that they deserve. And there were times, too, that there would be some friction, like, you know, like Jeff would reach out and be like, hey, you're giving not. And again, that wasn't selfish, but he'd be like, listen, are you just way too busy with Jordan? I mean, he'd, he'd have to call me on the carpet at times and rightfully so, because you know, he had a, a he had his, his solo career to worry about. And Jeff was, he had a great career here stateside. I mean, he had, 
all by himself because small labels don't have big budgets. And Jeff was coming off some major success with 98 Degrees, but Jeff was not only recording and producing and writing his own album, but he was actually, you'll appreciate this, Abby, he would take on different personas, different names, and call radio stations as a record rep. He made up these names. I think one was Ed Furby, if I remember correctly. And he would call the radio stations across the country and work the single. And he worked the single successfully to be a top 10 all by himself. Genius. He would set, he would set alarms. Jeff never slept because he lived in California. So he would have to be up at like four in the morning in California to be making calls that would reach East coast at 7am. And he would start on the East coast and work his way across the country. And so he was like doing that here stateside, but then in Malaysia in Southeast Asia, where boy bands are just gods, he also got a solo deal there. So we had to travel over there. I mean, one thing as we're talking, I'm thinking about this out loud. I recall a time, this will show you how just nuts my life was. I had to fly to, to Southeast Asia with Jeff to do the promotion for his solo album there, right? And nobody works harder than Jeff Timmons. I've never met a human being that is, can outwork Jeff. That, that man, I don't know what he does to do it because he looks amazing, but I've never seen a guy that doesn't sleep that just works 24-7. Jeff does it. But we went and we just worked our rear ends off for like, it was like a week straight. And we were doing radio promotion, TV, mall signings, concerts from sunup to sundown. Repeat, sunup to sundown. We were in Taiwan and the Philippines and Malaysia and Brunei and all these places, you know, uh, Singapore. And, and then I, I, I flew back with Jeff and we didn't know at the time we did all this promotion, but the album wasn't coming out until that following I think following week, you know, Okay. Oh well, that was going to pay off from all that promotion. But I remember flying back. So I flew from Southeast Asia to California, dropped Jeff off, got back on a plane at LAX, flew to Tampa, got home, Tracy packed my bag for me. And the next morning I flew from Tampa to Boston to pick up Jordan for us to fly to the UK to do a tour of the UK with Jordan and do a, he was doing a reality show over there at the time as well. So we, it was just, that was my life. It was bananas. And I'm in the UK getting a call from Jeff to let us know that his album debuted at number one ahead of the Backstreet Boys and Mariah Carey at the time. Oh, my gosh. Nothing to do with me. It had all to do with Jeff and that hustle that Jeff has that he still has today. I was so proud of him and, you know, blown away because I think if I remember right, the album that he debuted at number one beat was Mariah's Emancipation of Mimi, which was a massive album. And I think the Backstreet Boys album was... Never gone, I think. Again, I'd have to look. My memory isn't that great, but it was it was one of the bigger Backstreet Boys albums. And it, even though it, it only stayed at number one for the week, what a vindication for a guy that they were saying, you know, hey, he was in 98 Degrees. He was one of four. Jeff, I learned so much from Jeff. I, I, I don't even know where to start. I mean, my dad and Jeff Timmons are probably two of the best examples of impeccable work, work ethic, loyalty, honesty, integrity. Those two guys for me. Complete package. Complete package. And I, I never met an individual like that again until my father-in-law. And to this day, Jeff and I are as thick as thieves. And Jeff is still bringing me work. We just, you know, shot a couple of movies together. And, it, you know, randomly, Jeff will call me out of the blue. He brought me into a project in Japan um, back in 2021 that I worked nine months with. And he's a great friend. That's and so cool. It's amazing. It's just, you know, but again, it's funny how I look at what an awesome time in my life that was. And then Tracy got pregnant with Macy. And I think we both realized I didn't want to make the same mistakes personally that I made the first time around with my older kids. You know, that I, you know, if they were playing sports, I might catch one game or two games. Or if they had something going on at school, I might miss it all completely because I was traveling so much, you know. And so fate kind of intervened. Um, at the time that Tracy was getting ready to deliver, I'll, you know, I, I'll never forget, we were on tour in Canada and the doctor told Tracy she shouldn't be on this tour. She was getting ready to deliver. This was in January. Who the hell wants to tour Canada in January? No one. <laughs> we were bus going across Canada. And you imagine how cold that, you know, you you grew up in Minnesota, which is just, you know, stone's throw. And yeah, we were, <laughs> she was like out to here pregnant, you know what I mean? We were on this tour bus and she was like three or four months away from delivery, but she wanted to be on that tour. And things were changing. I think for us, things were changing for Jordan. He had some personal things that he needed. To, uh, to deal with and um, the things that he wanted to uh, you know go work on, if you will. And so after that Canadian tour, Jordan was shooting um, a reality show in Las Vegas. 
the surreal life fame games. We're in Las Vegas and he just kind of has that moment where he's like, you know what? I got to go home. I got to go home. I got to work on some things. I, I just want to kind of get in the right headspace and just get myself healthy. And, and so that's what he did. And that kind of put a halt for me financially because of all my clients at the time too, Jordan was the busiest. And that's, you know, when you're a manager and you're, you know, you're working on commission and when your top tier artist says, you know, I need to go home and I got to work on myself and take a break. Well, that, you know, that hits home for me and I've got another child on the way. Plus I've got to support my other children. And so it was very scary. It was one of those moments where I didn't know what I was going to do again. It was kind of at that, that crossroads. Danny got off the road. He wanted to stay home and be more of a dad. And again, these guys can afford to, you know, I mean, they've millionaires, you know, and Jordan was back home doing his thing. And Jeff had uh, taken a, a break too. He was working on some things. He was going through a divorce at the time and you know, trying to be a dad and, and, you know, he was a fantastic father and he wanted to focus and do that. And the reggae band, um, they had taken a high, so everything at the, it's like a domino, like within that, that April, right before Macy was born, it was like, I remember, I remember when she was born and delivered, I didn't know really what I was going to do because the night before she was born, I was doing my last show with Jordan. We were, and Jeff was out there too. We were doing this big concert in Boston, Massachusetts, big fundraiser that Aerosmith was headlining. Um, all these massive Boston bands. I was so excited. I, I, I couldn't wait to meet Steven Tyler, you know, and I knew that Jordan was going to take a break at this time. And so I wouldn't be performing anymore. And, you know, for a while at the time, I really didn't know that it was going to be permanent. You know, mm -hmm. I get, I just land, I check into my hotel. I've got all this swag in my hotel, like awesome swag zip ups. And I'm trying on hoodies and I'm just so excited. And all my clients are doing this show too. I mean, every client that I was working with at the time was doing this show. And I get this call from Tracy and she had, um, when she dropped me off at the airport, she slipped on some spilled milk in a convenience store and landed on her belly. Oh no. And the doctor sent her to the hospital and then the hospital, they said, you're in labor and it was early. And I, I'm thinking I've got every client that I work with here in Boston. And now my wife is calling and I got to try to get home because she's going to deliver. And there were no flights to be had, none. So I thought I was going to be just on a speakerphone hearing Macy be born. I was able to catch a flight the next morning. I had to leave all my clients in Boston. Obviously, they understood. And I get to I get to Tracy finally, and I get there. In the and by the way, let me put the caveat in that I talked to the doctor several times, and he said, yes, she's going to deliver. So I, I kept saying, are you sure? You're sure. I get there, and he goes, well, you know what? I think I think it was kind of a false labor and I'm like, you got, and I'm, now I'm furious. Pissed would be a better word. <laughs> so my dad says, listen, I got to calm you down. I haven't eaten nothing. He said, let, let me just take you to grab something to eat. The doctor, I think, was like really worried about me. So as I leave with my dad to go eat, he broke Tracy's water. <laughs> I think he thought, I, I, I think he thought that I better make sure there's a baby. This guy is going to come unglued. <laughs> He's going to perform a C-section if I don't. <laughs> so yeah, so Macy came and. You know, I got that news that I shared earlier that everybody was kind of, and I knew it, you know, the writing was on the wall. We had kind of had conversations and, um, that's when, uh, you know, I decided I was going to step back into radio. I loved radio, the passion for it kept me in the music business still. And then we decided we really didn't want to raise me. Florida was a fantastic place for us to be as a couple. We had a beautiful house. We had, it was like everything you could think of in Florida. We had a pool screened in Lanai. It was like the dream, right? But it wasn't a great place to raise kids. And so I ended up coming back to Iowa and uh, landing a, a job back in, in Iowa. And that's when I got back into radio. And I don't know, within a year, I was programming again. And so I was programming and back on the air, I was doing morning drive and was doing that in Iowa. And then six years later, I got the call up to St. Cloud, which I don't know if I ever told you the story. That wasn't my first time in St. Cloud. Did I ever tell you that story? No. You ever have those deja vu moments? All the time. Like, I know I've met this person or I know I've been there. And when you're touring and traveling and I was... I keep everything, Abby. I've kept every plane ticket. You should see my scrapbooks. I think I do a really great job with keeping everything. But I, I never, I just, for some reason, it just escaped me that I had performed for KCLD's, like, second chance prom with Jordan. No and we, way. We were late because our flights were delayed. Something happened where we didn't get into Minneapolis. The event had already started, and we just finally landed in Minneapolis. So, yeah. And I think JJ had worked there at the time, JJ Halliday. And, um... Yeah. But all of a sudden I, I'm passing this theater, the Paramount, and I'm like, I've been to this theater. And then it just clicked. I'm like, I played here. <laughs> I was here. <laughs> and, you know, I loved my time in, in St. Cloud. I loved working for Town Square Media. One of the most talented bunch of people. 
to this day, I still haven't been able to recreate that chemistry of not only the on-air staff, the programming staff, but the sales staff, the administrative staff, our engineer. Everybody was so cohesive. I tell the story and I think they think I'm lying. I'm like, we were on a roll for five years where we did not miss one monthly budget, not one. And it's because everybody worked so well together. Everybody championed everybody. If somebody was falling short, there was you were there to pick them up or brainstorm or, you know, David could send out an email and the, the gal working the front desk knew where we were in the month and where we needed to be to make the month. And everybody just wanted to make sure that we met those goals. We didn't want to see the street die. And it just and they're just amazing human beings there. I mean, they really are. Obviously, you know how I feel about you, how much I love you and and how talented I think you are. And just I I can't say enough things about you. And I'm not just saying this on your podcast. I tell anybody that will listen. I just you are just one of the most wonderful human beings inside and out. You really are. And super talented. I don't even think you know how talented you are. I really don't think you know that, but but you are. And it's just, you know, I look at people like you and Ashley and my one of my favorite human beings, Kelly Cords, and just an awesome crew that we had, not only on Mix, but on the Country Station and Classic Rock Station and WJON and just, again, across the sports station. It just, yeah, I, I get kind of teary-eyed, as you can see, because I miss you guys so much. And I miss not only the radio station, but I miss that community that is such a... Central Minnesota is just a, a wonderful place. You know that you were born and raised there and just amazing, amazing people and listeners that I still keep in touch with today. And sometimes I'll be talking to Trace and I'll be like, gosh, I really hope I made the right decision. But, you know, coming here to Des Moines was was bittersweet because I didn't leave because I had to leave. You know, sometimes in our business, you're forced out. I I left for no no other reason, but I wanted Tracy to be home because her father had passed away and I wanted her to be able to be by her mom and by her siblings. And, you know, I wanted Macy to be around family. And it was right. It was like the perfect storm because Macy had just wrapped up elementary school. So if we were going to make the change, it was like, this is the time to make the change. You're going into middle school. And, you know, so it, it all worked out well, but I got to tell you, I think making that decision to move here was harder than the facts that I had to do when I was making the decision to go on the road. It really was because I loved all of you so much. And I was so happy that that was a really tough decision. And, I, and and sending that email to David, my heart sunk. I mean, when people say that, when your heart, my heart sunk, I was physically ill after sending that email and I had to send it to him when he was on vacation of all things. Oh, brutal. I wasn't able to talk to him in person because I had to, I had to do it because the company I was going to work for Cumulus Media, they wanted to put the announcement in the trades and I didn't want to come out in the trades, obviously, without giving a proper notice. And I wanted to give a, I told Cumulus, I'm like, I have to give at least a 30 day notice. And they understood because of the job being the operations manager and the PD. And there was just too many things that needed to be put in place. I wanted to leave the station the right way. I wanted to leave it with in the right hands. And I was so grateful that I was not only left in the right hands, but all the, all of you at Mix stepped up. I mean, like Ashley stepped into that PD role and all that, all that gave me peace of mind in, in some you know weird way. It did, even though I, I just missed it. And, you know, now we're talking uh, my sixth year anniversary coming up in August here. Has it been six years? Oh, my gosh. Six years. And, you know, it's funny. I went back. I, you know, it's funny. I, I thought for a while that that part of my life of being on the road and working with those guys was over. We continued the friendships whenever the new kids would tour. Obviously, I would go see them and spend time with them. Jeff would come and tour. I would see Jeff and, you know, a string of artists I'd work with, obviously. But a call came in 2015 from Danny asking what I thought about going back out on the road again. And it was interesting because he was going back out on the road to raise money for his charity that he founded in his mom's name to raise money for breast cancer. And he was recording another solo album. And he said, Hey, I'm just going to do the weekend warrior thing. I'm still a dad. Got a lot going on. Obviously at that time too, the new kids was, they were touring arena still. So he made me a proposition that said, hey, if you and Tracy come back out on the road, we'll just do Friday, Saturday, Sunday dates. And God bless David Engberg. I've never said this to him, but I want to thank him on this podcast for allowing me the opportunity to revisit that part of my life again. And we did 30 dates around the country, Tracy and I. And I also want to thank my mother-in-law because she came up and took care of Macy Lynn for us while we were able to go out and live that part of my life again. And the funny story behind that is my first event with Danny was on my 40th birthday, January 13th, 2006. No, pardon me, 
2016. Jesus. 2016. Don't date yourself like that. <laughs> 2016, we were on the set of the Today Show. And we were, Danny was performing. And we were there with Brooke Shields and Ice Cube and uh, Kevin Hart. So I was, I was watching Danny get makeup on, shooting the breeze with uh, Brooke Shields. It was crazy. And then we were just, you know, every weekend we were out. You know, we'd fly into like Pittsburgh and do, you know, dates around Pennsylvania. The next weekend we would fly into New York and do New York and Boston and so on and so forth. And so, you know, I got to relive that again. And, you know, Danny and I always joke that it happened again. He's like, I think he's got the bug to do some more, do some more solo stuff. The cool thing about the new kids is they allow themselves the opportunity to do other things. You know, they, they plan these arena tours and these cruises, you know, in between their other solo endeavors or business endeavors you know donnie Wahlberg, as we all know is just on everything and everything you know so i just i love that they allow themselves that freedom and i and that respect and uh yeah so that was fun you know you have just had the wildest life and that's why i wanted you to be on this podcast because i've heard my fair share of stories but i knew there were more that i hadn't heard and most of them today were ones that i hadn't heard <laughs> well you know it's funny and I, I think you know if there's a lesson to be learned it's that you don't burn a bridge you you keep the people that you love and respect close i cherish those friendships and those relationships and like i said jeff is not just danny but jeff has brought me so so many fun amazing opportunities i never thought in a million years i'd be in movies and doing like you know even though they were small roles in like straight to streaming movies it was something i never thought in a million years was on my radar but thanks to jeff timmons and him introducing me to candace kane and I got to be in a uh, movie called Baking Up Love and Killer Holiday. And then I got to do something for Apple TV. And yeah, again, all, all thanks to those same folks that gave me those opportunities initially. And, you know, I was just thinking back on somebody I toured with my first tour of all, all when I did all of Europe, right? The first time I went to Europe was thanks to somebody you might know, because again, you're on radio and I'm sure some people listening to this podcast, she was very, very famous in the eighties. Her name was Irene Cara and her big number one, was Flashdance, What a Feeling. She was also at a song called Fame from the TV show Fame. And um, she brought me to Europe for the first time. And, you know, that was right when I met Danny, but he wasn't really doing dates at the time. And she's like, hey, you want to go? And she lived by me in Florida. So, yeah, and she passed away recently. And um, I got this message from her publicist about being a part of her um, public memorial that's coming up this fall. And I thought, what a touching thing. I was, I was only worked with her briefly, but again, she was, a big part of my story and why I got to do what I, you know, what I did, you know? So I'm, I'm grateful. I think if anything, I, I just want everybody to know how grateful when I look back, I'm, like I said, I'm 47. I'm grateful for every, I'm grateful for every opportunity, good and bad. Well, and I'm well, grateful for you because you're just an incredible human and you're just so great at connecting people to other cool people that then in turn changes their life and makes their life better. And I just think that's a real gift. And it's a gift that you have that you get to give to others. Well, the gift is being on this podcast. It really was. It's, it was fun to walk down that, you know, I'm almost teary eyed because I haven't thought about a lot of this stuff in a long time. And I really, I try in my old age to tell the people that, that I love and I appreciate that I do and love and appreciate them. I, I had this long conversation with my stepdad, who I call my dad, you know, because I don't have a relationship with my biological dad. I never did, but I had this call with him. He, he was sick and this was over the pandemic. You'll appreciate this because you're close to your parents. And I always tell my parents that I love them. And I'm sure you do too. Every it's phone call. Phone. Yeah. I love you, but you know, it's, I love you. Talk to you tomorrow. During the pandemic, I was worried my dad's getting up there. My dad will be 79 in June, but he's a young 79, you know, he still works part-time. And my mom would call me one uh, over the pandemic, this was like, I don't know, about a year or so ago, you know, the pandemic was kind of still going a little bit, you know, and she said, Oh, your dad's just not feeling well. He actually came home from work. And that was weird because like I told you, my dad's work ethic never called in sick, you know, never came home sick. And to hear he came home sick. Right. And I was thinking about him all night, like, God, I hope he's all right. You know? And one thing that I've really reconnected with over the last several years is my faith. I'm really in touch with my faith. And I've been, I read a daily devotional. And so I was thinking about my dad all night and the next morning, I was, I was restless. I didn't sleep really good. Next morning, I opened up my devotional. The title of this devotional is Your Dad's Voice. I what? know, right? What? I know. It's all about your dad and how important your dad is in your life and et cetera, et cetera, right? I'm bawling. I can't get through this devotional, right? 
and me and my dad, we have such a wonderful relationship. We joke together. My dad has toured with me and traveled with me. Like he went out with me with Jordan just because he wanted to see, he's been involved in every aspect of my life, you know? So I call him because I want it. Now I want to express to him just how much he means to me. And he answers the phone and I can tell him, my dad's very bubbly. He's up, never sick. And he answers the phone. And immediately when I hear his voice, it sounds shallow. I immediately start crying and I've never cried to my dad. And he, he thought I was calling him to tell him some bad news. He's like, what is, what's wrong? He thought maybe something was wrong with Tracy. Or yeah, Mace. he's going, who died? <laughs> yeah. And I just told him, I told him this whole story I just told you. And then I just, I just went into a 45 minute call of just expressing to him just how much he meant to me from when he took over that dad role when I was in fifth grade to being such an amazing um, role model and a great dad and grandfather I mean, and I'm between this, I'm crying and saying, I, could, I couldn't imagine if anything ever happened to you because I, I, I knew he was sick. And, I, and I, believe me, I know this is dramatic, but it goes back to what I was telling you. I just want not just people like Danny Wood and Jordan Knight and Jeff Timmons and all the people that I worked with and people like David Engberg and Marty Spees at Community First Broadcasting and my current boss, Jack Taddeo Cumulus. I just want everybody to know, my children, my mom and dad, my friends and family, people like you, how much I love you and appreciate you because you don't know if you're going to get that opportunity. And I don't want things left unsaid. So that's kind of my mission, if you will. Well, I love and appreciate you too. So, And thank you for allowing me this outlet. This has been, I'm usually on the other end doing the interview. And this was so much fun. It's kind of fun to be on the opposite side of things, isn't it? <laughs> it was. It was. It means so much. I'm, I'm grateful that you uh, you reached out to do this. I'm so glad that you were willing to do it. Thanks for letting me walk down memory lane. And I know that your next guest is somebody I'd love and appreciate very much. A good friend of mine, Justin Plouffe. And it's all because of you. I wouldn't have him on my podcast and have him as a friend if it wasn't for you. So He is the, I said Jeff is one of the hardest working people. I would put Justin Plouffe and his entire family and that entire band, Mason Dixon line, throwbacks, I would put them in that same category of just wonderful, amazing human beings and sickly talented. Yes. <laughs> sickly talented. Is that a word? Sickly talented? We'll make it one. <laughs> well, so thrilled for your new job. Thanks. And, uh, and your and your great marriage right now and your family. And so I just hope everybody continues to be well and I hope you have an amazing rest of your spring and summer. So. You too. Before you totally bail on me here, where can people find you online if they want to follow all of your adventures? I'm easy to find. Chad Taylor Radio. Everything is at Chad Taylor Radio. I would love to say hello. So connect with me, please. Thank you for tuning in to the Small Town Tourist Podcast. I'm your host, Abby Graves. Our theme song is Queen of Our Hometown by Rachel McIntyre-Smith. You can stream it wherever you listen to music. And be sure you follow Rachel at Rachel McIntyre-Smith on all social media platforms. You can find her online, too, at rachelmcintyresmith.com. You can find the Small Town Tourist online at the Small Town Tourist on Instagram and Facebook. And, of course, on our blog, thesmalltowntourist.com. Please leave a rating and review of this podcast, and we'll catch you back here next week for another episode.